Welcome to the Future of Medicine podcast, where we believe that feeling great and living a long time is possible and that your healthcare should help you get there. I'm your host, Dr. Aaron Wenzel. My hope is simple, that this show will help you along your journey to becoming the healthiest, strongest, and most powerful version of you possible. Now, let's jump into the show. Hey, everybody, this is Dr. Wenzel. Before we jump into this show, I am very excited to bring uh, uh, Jen into this conversation and talk about, um, at a high level, some of the things that you need to know about cardiovascular risk reduction for 2023 and beyond. We're going to talk about new um, diagnostic imaging virtual heart cath technology that is changing the game for future risk stratification. We're going to be talking about the two blind spots that I am now leaning heavily into in order to de-risk people's health future. And lastly, we're going to be talking about three medication class that are just changing the game in three areas that matter so much when it comes to heart disease. Hope you enjoy the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Future of Medicine podcast. I am your host, Dr. Aaron Wenzel. I am joined once again by the lovely and talented Jen Justice. Hello. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm amazing, Jen. Good. And every day I get to work with you is a no. good day. This is an exciting episode. It's one of my favorite topics to talk about. And each year we like to give a little bit of an update. This is our 2023 cardiovascular update. I'm calling it Pioneering Cardiovascular Progress, the three cutting edge diagnostic and therapeutic tools you need to know about in 2023. Mm. Uh for starters, uh, we have been um, we have mentioned the technology I'm about to talk about um, in previous episodes. Mm -hmm. Over the past <clears throat> three years, we've probably gone from intrigued to fascinated to excited to now fully evangelistic. Yes, uh, the, the technology we're talking about is clearly it is a. Uh, CCTA, which is a fancy CAT scan that you then take these images and upload them uh, onto a cloud-based technology where they overlay um, the artificial intelligence to recreate um, basically a virtual heart cath, mm -hmm. where we now have granular level detail on um, the coronary arteries and the condition they're in, the type of plaque burden they have, and the nature of the plaque. Um, and, and this has really been one of the biggest things in my mind lately. It's something that you're probably tired of me talking about. Never. Um, number one, it um, it has a lot to do with the, the patient population that we take care of, um, of, of the three, the big three as we call them, heart disease, cancer, and dementia. Mm -hmm. Heart disease is number one yes. on people's minds. Uh, to avoid if possible and to know about it early um, if it happens to be in your path. Selfishly, it's something that I'm walking through as mm -hmm. a 40, almost 49 year old male. Uh, I have discovered some things about my current cardiovascular risk profile that I'll share a little bit later that selfishly is driving this along. As I always tell people, I'm, I'm a chef who eats my cooking. I am in this arena just like you, just mm -hmm. like the listeners, just like our members. I'm trying to navigate um, the things that I do and don't do, the decisions I make about my health in a way that represents 
my personal thesis mm-hmm. um, and, and not to be some ivory tower situation where I'm telling you to do what I say, not what I do. I always tell people if they want to know what to do, just watch what I do. Yeah. I really, I really do try to eat and train and sleep and, and risk manage the same way I do my patients for my own life. Um, and so there's a selfish drive behind this topic. Um, but I think as we get started, the brief overview, I think it worth, it's worth just touching again on what is heart disease, mm-hmm. right? So heart disease is, um, is, a, is a generic term that we usually that usually encompasses everything from hypertension to heart attack and to stroke mm-hmm. uh, and it all has to do with the hardening of the arteries that feed our heart called our coronary arteries and this hardening takes place through a process known as atherosclerosis atherosclerosis is wildly complex uh, incredibly multifactorial there is no one clear path to atherosclerosis um, and it leads to heart attack, stroke, and vascular disease. And it's probably the only ine- inevitable disease of humans. Mm-hmm. If you live long enough, you will have a hardening of your artery. Atherosclerosis under enough time area, under the curve, time and residence, as I've said all the time, you will develop a hardening of arteries. Second might be like, Arthritis. If you live long enough and move around long enough, you're going to have arthritis in your shoulders and your joints and your hips and your knees. It doesn't mean you have to be negatively impacted by the arthritis. And I believe the same for atherosclerosis. So what we're looking for are early accelerators of atherosclerosis because that's where it becomes a problem. Mm -hmm. Are you going to absorb a negative consequence because of your atherosclerotic process? And the highest risk for negative impact are accelerators. So smoking, diabetes, obesity, family history, these are the things that make it go faster. Mm-hmm. We're also looking for evidence of early disease that has already taken hold. And it's all well and good to not know what to do with risk factors you have and to really put some some rainbows and sunshine around it and say, I think I'm fine. Um, but clearly is changing the game there because now we can actually see what's going on. And so we can find early disease where we otherwise would be totally blind. Mm -hmm. And for the people who we know have heart disease or people who we know are very high risk to have heart disease, we get early eyes on the disease Mm -hmm. and we can be far more strategic in avoiding the negative impact, the icebergs, like millimeter shifts years in advance to avoid the iceberg. It's amazing. That's a quick overview of why this is significant. I'm curious, Jen, your perspective clinically on how we actually practically this affects the way we manage our members. Do you have some thoughts on oh, that? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so I think it points back to our North Star, which is we don't do population health. We do the health of one. And we do precision medicine here, meaning uh we take a look at all of those things that you mentioned, your current health status, your family history, um, you know, all of those risk factors when we look at a, a person as a whole. But doubling down on clearly has really changed the game for us. And, you know, we were talking earlier about we used to think the calcium score was like amazing data yeah. um, and we would get a calcium score on. And it was game changing. Yeah. And, and it was all we had at the time. 
without sending somebody to cardiology for a full workup and and all of that. <clears throat> but since then, you know, we have been fortunate enough to um, elevate the game and, and advance to the coronary um, angiogram, which we then upload, like you said, to Clearly. And there's also heart flow, which is different. But um, those two things have really changed the game for our members, um, mostly because, as you alluded to before, we're able to catch this thing early. So we talk about, you know, heart disease being area under the curve. The longer you're exposed to high blood pressure, elevated particle number, um, the the more advanced your atherosclerosis, atherosclerosis is going to be later on down mm-hmm. the road. Um, so can we catch it early and either delay it or um, figure out where you are in the process and start medication or exercise, diet, all of those things that maybe you're not doing. Um, but, you know, in our members now, you know, if they had a cal, even if they had a calcium score of zero and they want to know more about their cardiac status or we do, we're recommending the CCTA and then the Clearly. And we have found in plenty of our members, they might be, they might have a normal blood pressure. They might be metabolically stable. They might have a slightly elevated cholesterol panel or ApoB, but we find plaque. And mm-hmm. we can determine, is it stable or is, is it unstable? How aggressive do we need to be? Mm-hmm. And it kind of takes the emotion out of it, right? Like Totally. I, I recently, I had one yesterday, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I can speak to that mm-hmm. um, very well, um, that thankfully my clearly is fine. And we just did it as a baseline. My calcium score was zero, so I didn't expect anything to really come back scary. But, you know, while you're waiting for that, um, you're kind of like, okay, what's this going to tell me? And, and what can I do with this information? But just having objective data to kind of be. Yeah, you're the perfect case study for where this tool is incredibly powerful mm-hmm. in that you have in- incredible metabolic profile. Your calcium score was zero. Mm-hmm. But by definition, a calcium score only tells you how much calcified plaque is there, right. which is stable plaque. Mm-hmm. It doesn't tell us anything about non-calcified plaque. Right. Now, with your total risk stratification you were low risk to have any significant non-calcified plaque, but we don't know for sure. Right. And But now we do. Mm-hmm. And so I just think it gives another layer of confidence that the, that the data we're looking at, the decisions that we're making about your health are reliable. Yeah. And um, it's a more powerful decision. And I, I just think in summary, clearly has unequivocally changed the game for how we at our practice risk stratify our members for the number one killer of humans Mm -hmm. on the planet, which is heart disease. And it it also gives our members more ammunition for that off, uh, uh, that offensive mindset that we've talked about so often in our podcasts. Yeah, no. And we have a lot of very sophisticated, um, people Mm -hmm. in our practice and, they're they're trusting of us and we have their best interest in mind and we have that relationship but there there's something about having an objective nothing personal this is just what i see saying hey you have xyz going on and we haven't been addressing the two things that are definitely connected to these because we just assumed you were fine once you realize you're not fine 
it affects the way there's a shift mm -hmm. in how you think about de-risking your future. Yeah. Now people can choose to not do anything about it and that's totally up. Everything has a cost risk benefit analysis that needs to be thought of. But if you're over 50 and you're listening to this and you haven't gotten a clearly study yet, this is one of the tests that I couldn't make a stronger recommendation to think about. Mm -hmm. If you're not having symptoms, your insurance will not pay for this. Right. This is something that you're going to have to pursue as an investment into your future health yep. and your future outcome. Um, and, you know, depending on what market you're in, the availability, it may be super easy to get and super inexpensive. It, you may have to drive a couple hours and it may not be cheap. But please look into it. Mm -hmm. I think uh, of all the things that we should be thinking about on the back half of life, heart disease is number one. Yeah. Um, all right. Very good. This second section is um, really about a blind spot in heart disease risk stratification, and that is ignoring mildly elevated blood pressures and mildly elevated LDL particle numbers. Mm -hmm. And this really hits home to me um, for two reasons. Again, this time primarily driven in my own journey. So I also got um, a clearly study done um, and I had a calcium score yep. that was done, I don't know, was it a year and a half ago mm -hmm. or something? And it was in the 40s, yep. which is low overall, but I was incredibly disappointed, right? I <laughs> mean, were. I was so <laughs> upset. pretty bummed about that. Yeah. Uh, I just knew it was going to be zero. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it wasn't really messed me up. Mm -hmm. um, and I have been working on my own health journey and my fitness and tightening things up. And, and, and I started really paying attention to things like blood pressure and my scrutinizing some of my labs, not, not doing any therapeutic, uh, um, you know, no medications or anything, but I started documenting. And I got a clearly earlier this year because I, I'm like, well, if I have 46 calcified, I wonder what, if I have any non-calcified. And sure enough, I do. Mm -hmm. And... It was really, on one hand, disappointing. On the other hand, I felt incredibly grateful. Mm -hmm. I needed to go through the grief process, and it, it took me a good three, four weeks yeah. to kind of come out the other side grateful. Mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know, acceptance is the last phase. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it, it is a singular test that redirected my, the trajectory of my thinking mm -hmm. for my own health. Here I am doing all the things that I can do. Um, there's nothing I've done to deserve the, the blockage that I have found in one of my arteries. Now it's mild, mm -hmm. but I now know that I have a little something mm -hmm. in one of my main arteries that I need to keep an eye on. Yeah. And as I look back over the last year and a half of looking at, well, how could this be? How could I have a calcium score of 46? I noticed, wow, I've got some mild... I mean, by definition, some mild hypertension mm -hmm. that I'm not treating. Wow, those 10 years of working nights in the ER and not sleeping, like I'm starting to put together a narrative that makes sense to me right. as to how I became mildly hypertensive. And um, I'm a high drive guy. I'm, I'm a very 
I'm not the best at relaxing, uh, as as is well documented. Is well documented. <laughs> um, but I, it then allowed me to really rethink about these patients of ours that I also, by extension, tend to be a little laxed. I'm incredibly aggressive and on offense when it comes to metabolic yep. things like insulin, fasting insulin levels and, you know. Which what yours it, is like two. Yeah, one. no, and, and I'm all time <laughs> great at that. Mm -hmm. And my patients are also very tightly managed, but there's this weird projection of laxity mm -hmm. in my intensity and focus around hypertension and allowing my people to walk around with, you know, high 130s, low 140s, over 90s. and. And although it's not scary in the short term, it's absolutely not goal. Right. And so I have now started to ratchet down in my own life and uh, treating my own hypertension. And now I'm, you know, it's changing the way I'm practicing. And would you have addressed a calcium score of 46 in a, in a member of yours, I guess, in um, the past, in the past, before clearly? Maybe. I, I would have immediately gone to well what's what's the the metabolic profile like mm -hmm. is there insulin resistance that we can be treating and let's go get aggressive there mm -hmm. um and it's just um I'm, I'm a little bit my eyes are open to a blind spot yeah you know i'm, I'm a pretty self-aware i'm a pretty observant person but you know i only can see what i can see and 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 that was definitely a blind spot for mm -hmm. me there's also a blind spot to kind of overlook in a metabolically pristine person, trivial elevations in cholesterol. I mm -hmm. definitely took a more watchful waiting mm -hmm. approach, but I also didn't have the ability to have this kind of granular detail as to what is actually going on. I had to kind of um, project and hypothesize mm -hmm. and extrapolate what I think might be going on. And clearly, f often enough that it's changing the way that I'm practicing has shown me that that was not fully accurate thinking and I need to be tighter in my thinking. Mm -hmm. And the two areas were the greatest opportunity that happened to be my two vulnerabilities, trivial, like a mild elevation in, in a APOB particle number. It's yep. too high. Yeah, My numbers were over 90. Mm -hmm. I need them way under 90. Mm -hmm. And my blood pressure always was 138, 142 over low 90s, mm -hmm. which is not scary, but it's way off. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so those need to come down, and I'm 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 applying that now to my members. Um, I just think those are the two opportunities that, for me, are going to change the back half of my life, and I am convinced that it will help me be a more effective physician for the people who entrust me to be their health advocate. Oh, I love it. Um, to be just that much better. Mm -hmm. Um, how has this affected you in the way you're practicing? Well, <clears throat> I think you, you touched on it greatly, which is trending out the data is really important. We check ApoB particle number on our members routinely, right? <clears throat> so we yes. have the ability to trend that out. We have gone back and looked at, you know, when, when members come in for their annual physical or it's a 90-day check on their lipid panel, where's that ApoB trending? Is it trending up? Is it trending down? Um how close to goal are they? So, you know, really just being aware of that uh, one metric is really important. And then helping them understand their blood pressure numbers. Um, 
you know, obviously hypertension cannot be diagnosed with one blood pressure alone, but we have them just like you did. I mean, you got the an automatic blood pressure cuff and you were checking it in the morning um, and, and a couple times during the day, maybe a nighttime reading. I mean, I don't think you were obsessed with it. No, but you, a couple times a day I was looking. Yeah, but you, um, you were able to have objective data on where it's at. Yeah. And, um, you know, sometimes we see that it's, it's normal in the morning, but as the day goes on and, and members are stressed with their jobs or, you know, things going on that it, that it elevates at different times of the day. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of, you know, able to check that out as well. So, um, really it's again going back to being critical with the data and unemotional with it and and just uh, taking it all into consideration of where we can make changes and look that's not easy for everyone no i'm a very highly emotional highly passionate i'm like a i'm like a blend Mm -hmm. you know i have this scientist like just give me the data side of me and then i have this incredibly passionate emotional side of me mm-hmm. and they they coexist mm-hmm. and I live I live in the white space between those two things um, and when when it comes to making decisions about your health adding medicines risk stratifying if you have any n- part of you that is an emotional that tend you tend to lead with emotion in those types of decisions like this probably is one of those things yeah you know if you ask me to make critical decisions about my children or my wife it's going to be emotional Mm -hmm. that's why I'm not their doctor right I can't think straight yeah I'm too emotional I'm Mm -hmm. too attached um and this was for me Mm -hmm. you know in hindsight I should have started all of this about six months ago but it took me that long to get through the emotional side of the house Mm -hmm. to land on okay it's just It's not right, wrong, good or bad. It just is like it's about risk, probability. And if I want to de-risk my future, I can't ignore the thing that is looking right at me. Right. Especially since I now have unequivocal evidence that I'm absorbing risk. Yep. Actively Mm -hmm. right now, being mildly hypertensive, keeping these cholesterol numbers where they are. You've absorbed this much risk at the 48 and Mm -hmm. three quarter mark. (laughs) Yep. And I'm like, uh oh. Because I have ambition to live over 100. I better do something about this. Yeah. All gas, no brakes. <laughs> do it. <laughs> well, moving on to the last section of this um, episode, it's about three new drug managing um, strategies, drug classes to, 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 to lower risk of cardiovascular uh, incident. Uh, two of them are, are drugs that you have... Uh, one for sure you've heard of one if you've been paying attention to us for any length of time you know we've been talking a lot about them Mm -hmm. another one unless you're a super nerd and you live in the world of cutting edge um, um, scientific breakthroughs you haven't heard of it but it's worth presenting at this time we're very excited about all three and the first is statin therapy uh, talk about an emotional topic. Oh boy! There, there are camps firmly rooted all over the place. Whether it's the greatest thing that's ever happened, and you need to put it in the water, to it's the most evil thing that's ever been created, to anywhere in between. Um, there, are, there is a lot of emotion, confusion. There is a lot of noise around this topic. Um, 
and I'm talking about drugs like Lipitor and Crestor, th- mm-hmm. this class of medicine that is, is designed to lower cholesterol through the lower the suppression of production. Mm-hmm. So it, it helps your liver produce less. less. What I want to specifically talk about statins is in sp- not whether it's good or bad for cholesterol, but that it's where the data is strongest on what it actually does to lower risk of cardiovascular disease. Because let's be clear, the only reason we care about cholesterol is its relationship to your risk for cardiovascular disease. Mm -hmm. So when we start talking about things outside of cardiovascular death, I'm not really sure where that conversation is going. And and, and that goes beyond the scope of this talk. Mm -hmm. I'm not so interested in it lowering cholesterol even though that is one of the benefits, especially if you have known disease. Right. The, the data is very clear that if you have established cardiovascular disease, you've had a cardiac incident like a cardio, myo, myocardial infarction, heart attack, the survival rates are much better if you get on a statin. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons that has become very clearly shown in the, in the data is that statin therapy converts unstable plaque, plaques that rupture and cause heart attacks, to stabilized plaque. Mm-hmm. And although we would like to reduce plaque, the next best thing is to take plaque that's there and calm it down. Right. Turn it into rock hard, calcified stone. That stuff usually is considered low risk to rupture. Mm -hmm. It's the non-calcified stuff that's very dangerous. I have four and a half times the amount of non-calcified plaque in Mm -hmm. my coronaries than I do calcified. That's a problem. Mm Mm-hmm. And if there's, when I'm looking at greatest area of opportunity, the calcified stuff, the stuff that showed up on my calcium score, it's, it's just there. Yeah. And it's unlikely to do anything in my future. What is far more likely to create problems is this non-calcified accumulation of plaque. And I know statins are very good at flipping it over to calcified. Mm-hmm. And so statin therapy really should be considered by anyone who has evidence of non-calcified plaque accumulating in your coronaries? Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, I'm not going to go into like LDL targets and all the like. That's between you and your physician to figure out where the right goal and the right set points are for you. But with the clearly study, we can now say, hey, is this statin therapy over a period of time working? Defined as Am I de-risking my future by in- increasing the amount of calcified plaque versus non-calcified plaque in my coronaries? And if you do do that, that therapy is working. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are three major questions that come out of statin therapy. Number one, can you slow down plaque formation? And, and the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, by lowering the amount of cholesterol LDL that you're making, you will slow down the accumulation of LDL particles in your coronary arteries. Mm-hmm. Um, can you change the composition of a plaque from an unstable to stable? And like I've said, yes, absolutely. That's, in my eyes, that's its primary benefit, mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. We now have other tools that are way better at lowering cholesterol than statins. I'm interested in statin for the plaque composition Mm -hmm. changing. Uh, Can you reverse unstable plaque? Uh, I don't know. Instinctively, I think the answer is 
Probably yes. Mm-hmm. I'm actively on that journey yep. uh, because I have so much non-calcified. I'm on a statin therapy mm-hmm. that was very thoughtful and selective. Uh, I'm also on a therapy that I'm going to talk about in, in a little bit. I will report back next year <laughs> on the 2024 yeah. update. Good. I, I think we should be able to reverse unstable plaque, mm-hmm. um, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. There's some promising therapies. Uh, the, the next question is, can you reverse stable plaque? The answer is, I have no idea, and I'm not even convinced that really matters because stable plaque is, by definition, stable. stable right. So I'm not sure it would be worth pursuing that. You may create more harm than good. So. I have no idea, but I'm not actively measuring that. Mm-hmm. I will be able to report back that if my, my calcium plaque, calcified plaque after my therapies have reduced, then I'll report on it. Mm-hmm. But I don't anticipate that being a thing. Um, basically, summarizing this first section uh, is clearly has allowed me to take a different vantage point on my risk factors, which included having an elevated cholesterol profile. And now I can uh, assign a strategic therapy and then measure downstream to see if it's working. And I'm very excited about being able to measure it. That's awesome. It is. uh, The scientist in me is very excited. The emotional human in me is very like, okay, fine. Okay, fine. (laughs) Well, and I think it's worth noting the good thing about the statins is they're very well tolerated overall. And For the most part, yeah. They're cheap, and there's lots of different options. So if one doesn't work, we can always switch it um, and, and just try another option. But, yeah. Yeah, well, it takes the, the religion off of lowering cholesterol and the religion on the thing that I'm trying to reverse, which is the unstable plaque. Right. And for me, that was a little freeing mm-hmm. psychologically. Mm-hmm. How has this changed the way you're thinking about this in in the patients that you're managing? As far as statin therapy? Yeah. Oh, I... Um, and or, and this goes this goes back to, to my weight loss days, you know, where we would see severely obese people come through. We would put them on a, a protein sparing modified fast. Um, you know, their lipid panels would be a mess. We weren't checking ApoB at all back right. then. Um, and we would give them the promise of, hey, we could probably get you off your blood pressure medicine and your statin therapy. Wouldn't that be great? And now I'm like, uh... <laughs> You maybe, know, maybe, and um, we just didn't have any further information to make good decisions. So now, with clearly, it's so exciting that we have that yeah that extra layer of um, of knowledge to help. But I, yeah, I feel like um, I kind of was in the camp of anti statin therapy for a long, long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, knowing the mechanism of action in more detail, the research and the data behind how they operate, how they work, and then with the, the, the other class of drugs that we're going to talk about at the end here, um, my, ch- my thinking has really changed. Yeah. You know, and, and that it's not a bad thing to have, have to have a statin. Yeah, I think, I think it comes down to kind of all therapy and all the, the answer, should I or should I not fill in the blank to whatever the question is, is almost always it depends. It depends, yeah. And I think for a lot of people, free-thinking, intelligent adults in this world of information where everything is at your fingertips with the internet and there's so much noise and conflicting information and and really a a lack of trusted, unbiased wisdom. Mm -hmm. People's default is to just 
um, freeze. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get kind of analysis paralysis and we don't know where, where to trust. And, and, and we're really craving we have information overload, but we're craving wisdom and insight. Yeah. And I, I just think for me, the clearly testing has been able to allow me to leapfrog over the religion mm-hmm. of the statin debate and go right to, well, do you have heart disease? Yes or no. Right. And if you added statin therapy, there is a modality or a mechanism of action with statin therapy that has been shown to de-risk, which is converting unstable plaque to stable plaque that we can actually measure and I can manage what I can measure. Mm -hmm. So it, it just completely like using the iceberg analogy, it would be like the, the captain of the Titanic, you know, 12 hours early, if he would have just been told, Hey, there's something you could just avoid the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Like you don't, you don't have to go through the minefield of icebergs. You, you could, you could avoid the whole thing if you have enough runway to make those adjustments. Yeah. And that's my hope that people would hear this and say, man, we have tools. Should we identify some atherosclerotic changes? We have tools that can improve your risk downstream and we have a way to measure the success of that therapy Mm -hmm. in a way that we never have before. Mm -hmm. So I think people should rethink statin therapy if they've had a anti-statin therapy mm-hmm. thesis yep. up until this point. Agree. The second uh, class of medicines that we really need to be thinking about, uh, I'm going to let you talk about, you know, we spend tons of time talking about metabolic <coughs> disease, obesity, obesogenic, insulin-resistant diabetes, those kind of things. What's the second class of medicines uh, here? The second class that we talk about are the GLP-1 agonists, and we've talked about these before on a podcast, but it's the semaglutide. Uh, the uh, trade names are uh, Ozempic and Wagovi. Right. Um, Ozempic, FDA approved for the treatment of type 2 diabetes, and Wagovi for obesity. Mm-hmm. Um, these are amazing drugs. Uh, we're, we're not shy in introducing these or prescribing Early. them to anybody with insulin resistance, metabolic disease, because uh, metabolic disease is, is an accelerator of cardiovascular disease. Correct. And if you don't uh, go on offense and delay this um, aggressively, it's a, it's a one-to-one, right? So if you become diabetic, your increase for cardiovascular disease is... It's a risk equivalent. It's a risk equivalent, right. Um, which means in English, it's the same as having heart disease. Yep. So, and the problem is, although hypertension and cholesterol also are accelerators of heart disease, metabolic disease like insulin resistance and diabetes... It also is an accelerator of that, but it's an accelerator of cancer. It's mm-hmm. an accelerator of dementia. The other big killers. Yep. It's the ultimate gateway pathology that we have spent an obsessive amount of time getting a hold of. And I feel very confident about where we stand with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's, it's still one of our best tools that we have and yeah. we're, we're, we're incredibly excited about and it. And people do generally well on these drugs. It's pretty you well know, tolerated. It is a weekly injection. Um, 
some nausea, some GI side effects, but the appetite suppression is amazing, yep. especially at the higher doses. The effects on insulin, blood sugar. Remarkable. Um, you know, Fatty liver. Fatty liver, all mm -hmm. of those things. We've seen huge turnarounds in. Um, Primary drawbacks, cost. Yep. It's still very expensive for most people mm -hmm. uh, unless you happen to have diabetes and, uh, and you have insurance that it's a preferred. Yep. Uh, even if it is covered, the brand name is, at least at the time of this recording, generally unavailable, yeah. especially in the starting doses. Some of the cruising altitude doses, the bigger doses, seem to still be available. Mm -hmm. Hopefully the supply chain things will sort that out. And it's uh, an injection. Yeah. And so th these are the things to be considered, but all things considered, it is, uh, again, I'd encourage people to think about it in terms of an investment in mm -hmm. your health. Mm -hmm. And it's a very powerful uh, the other the other downside is it's still a relatively new medication. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're we're very optimistic, but we we probably need a good twenty years of data before we know for certain the safety profile. But so far, it appears to be very well tolerated, very safe, mm -hmm. and remarkably effective yeah. in the weight and weight related disease world. Mm -hmm. The third class of medications, uh, likely this will be the first time you've heard of this class. It's something called a PCSK9 inhibitor. It's a tongue twister. <laughs> um, the primary drug on the market is called Repatha. <clears throat> uh, I am actually taking Repatha. Uh, I started this specifically because of my ApoB particle number being too high. And I am using, again, back to the Titanic analogy, I am using a full force avoid the ice field altogether. Mm -hmm. I have enough evidence that has come into me in advance that there is an ice field in my future involving cardiovascular disease. And I now have the ability to measure the efficacy of my therapies. And now with this tool and the statin therapy and my blood pressure and the other things that I have done, I am looking to systematically go around and completely avoid and come out the other side free of the ice field. Yeah. And I will obviously be documenting this journey and be sharing it with people. I am very, very um, excited about mm -hmm. this class, PCSK9 inhibitors. Um, the mechanism of action is, you know, so if, if, if statins work at the level of the liver to decrease production of the liver, the PCSK9 inhibitors upregulate the LDL cholesterol receptors mm -hmm. in the liver to pull it out of the body. Mm -hmm. And some of the early reports, early data are showing within 30 days, like a 70% reduction wow. in particle number, mm -hmm. which is fascinating. So if lowering cholesterol particle number can reverse soft plaque, I'll be here to report it because <laughs> yeah. I'm also going to be repeating my clearly study in about a year. Mm -hmm. So stay tuned. Um, but this is something if you have familial hyperlipidemia, uh, which is a genetic condition, um, this is the only condition that this medication will be paid for uh, in most cases. The only other exception would be if you have wild dyslipidemia and you are resistant to all statin therapy. Most pharmaceutical companies are not going to pay for this. It's quite expensive. Um, but again, might be worth the investment. So the big drawback is the cost. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it's likely several hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. um, Are these relatively new as well? 
Yeah, actually, I very first heard about them in 2015, 2016, mm -hmm. um, and they were introduced specifically treating fam FH patients, yep. familial hyperlipidemia. These patients have done nothing wrong, but they just have wildly high particle number, and every one of them, with no exception, ends up with early cardiovascular event, and their only risk factor is their ApoB particles are through the roof. Yeah. And the, this class of drug is annihilating their particle number and creating, completely de-risking this genetic uh, condition's mm -hmm. risk for heart disease. And so it was unavailable to the mass. It was several thousand dollars a month when it first came on. I've been paying attention to it. Um, it's now somewhere in the, I, I, you know, it, it depends, but mm -hmm. five, six hundred bucks a month or something. Wow. Cost prohibitive for many. Mm -hmm. um, but... Stay tuned uh, if these things are effective and continue to get mass adoption. Cost does come down, mm -hmm. um, but you heard it here first. Yeah. Um, something to consider asking your primary doc if it's of interest to you. That's a wrap. This is amazing. Thank you for this inspiring and, uh, you know, insightful update. Well, it's a little more personal yeah. on my end than... Um, the previous cardiovascular updates I've done, um, but I now have new information mm -hmm. that is, I'm, I'm choosing to use it as a tool to make positive change for my future, to de-risk my future. Uh, nothing in life is absolute. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. But if I'm given tomorrow and many tomorrows after that, I want to make sure I have the lowest risk of dying from something that is avoidable. Yeah. And that's the way I'm looking at this. And I, I'm excited to do it to document it, to share the insight. I hope it's useful for people. Um, but there are many tools that we have to both identify and to manage the number one killer of humans. And I hope people can go to their person and find their team and deploy some of these ideas, have some of these conversations and figure out which one of them may be right for them mm -hmm. so that they can feel like they're doing all that they can and uh, minimize any regret and, um, avoidable bad outcomes love it any famous last words Jen nope just proud of you <laughs> oh. well it's always a pleasure uh, if you like this episode please let us know share it with someone who you think might enjoy until we meet again take care I want to thank you so much for your attention listen I don't take it for granted it means the absolute world to me you can find out more about today's episode at brentwoodmd.com forward slash podcast. There you'll find the show notes, all the related links to this episode, and tons of other resources. If you haven't already subscribed, please do so. And if you've already subscribed, then it would mean so much to me if you left a review. If you think we'd be a good fit to work together, or you would just simply like to know more about the concierge services that I provide my private clients, email us at membership at brentwoodmd.com. And now for the obligatory disclaimer, this podcast is for general information only and does not constitute the practice of medicine or the giving of medical advice as no doctor-patient relationship has been formed. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should seek the advice of their own medical professional providers.